Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is our number two. We'll go behind enemy lines at the bottom of the hour to check in on today's opponent, the four and six Tennessee Volunteers. And we will get Herb Tyler in hour number two. We always have to get Herb's breakdown on the matchup. LSU's offense against Tennessee's defense. The Tigers' defense against the Vols' offense and where special teams factors in to today's game. It's the Tigers and the Volunteers tonight. A shade after six here on Tiger Radio. And we do know next week LSU would play at 6.30 in their final regular season game. They take on rival Texas A&M, which uh, could be the uh, final game for Kevin Sumlin. And uh, a lot happening there. Interesting now matchup taking place in Arkansas. Uh, what would that do for the uh, Brett Bielema factor? Mississippi State just did tie the game up. But it is uh, 21-21 in the fourth, so we'll keep you an eye on that one. 260-1870 is the number to get involved. You can text us at 870-870. When you uh, think of LSU, uh, you know, going back to the uh, SEC in the days before there were the constant, you know, Tennessee was always linked to that be playing Alabama, LSU, and Florida. And uh, in the course of uh, since there's been those constant, you go back to the 90s, uh, particularly the mid to late 90s when Tennessee and the Philip Fulmer days, that was tough. I mean, uh, Alabama was, you know, a different program at that point in time, obviously. But that one constant Alabama had, it was tough every year. And a lot of people look at the one constant, especially the upper tier teams in the program in the SEC, and they'll, they'll kind of go, you know, if you look at and if you figure that in the West, that Alabama, let's say Auburn and LSU are the top three programs, that over the course of, the, of a, over a decade, Alabama by far has had the easier of their one constant, meaning East. LSU and Auburn have not. LSU will always play Florida, and Auburn will always play Georgia, their one constant rotating, Deep South's oldest rivalry. So that means a lot when you're talking about Okay, well, who has a tougher – yeah, th- they're all tough schedules when you're talking about this conference. But when you're cross-playing somebody, I mean, for instance, you have your one team that you play on a regular basis from the east, and then you rotate. Next year, LSU's rotation is Georgia. <laughs> so they have Florida and Georgia on their schedule. So, you know. Last year and the year before that, you could all get a top two in the East. Now, things have changed, but we'll see what Florida does. Tennessee's offense, folks, just this year never really has gotten on track. Uh, Will Brady Hogue do something? Tennessee, the first two games of the season, you may remember, uh, Labor Day weekend, Tennessee scored 42 points and they beat Georgia Tech. They scored 42 points in the second game of the season. But since the second week of the season, the most points the Tennessee Volunteers have put up in a single game uh, has been 26 points. And that was when they lost back in the uh, eighth week of the season, 29-26 to Kentucky. Now, the best part about Tennessee's offense, as we talked a little bit about earlier, offensive lineman Trey Smith, 
He's the first volunteer freshman to start at left tackle in over 30 years. Considered one of the premier freshman players in all of the country and will be a big-time NFL prospect. Now, Tennessee fans have two freshmen at quarterback, and Will McBride last week, uh, he got his action. Uh, 202 yards of total offense, you know, over 60 rushing, some passing. They did get blown out by Missouri, but we'll see how he progresses this week. And back to Tennessee. Offensively, it has been a struggle all season long, like it indicated. No true identity. And they are the worst scoring offense in the Southeastern Conference at 20.4 points per game. Now, on the flip side, when you look at the Tennessee defense, you're looking at a program that it's kind of, well, this is very strong. This is very weak. And then you try to make sense of things. For instance, there's no balance in the Tennessee defense. They have the best passing defense in the Southeastern Conference. It's fifth in the nation. But they have the worst rushing defense in the Southeastern Conference, allowing 260 rushing yards per contest. So you're giving up over 400 yards of total offense a game, and you have the number one pass defense, it's kind of going, okay, wait a minute. Is that pass defense really that good? If that pass defense is good, doesn't that mean the front guys are getting a pass rush? Historically, traditionally on any level, that is the case when it comes to football and breaking down an offense and thinking about what they do and the defense and what they do. But when you look at Tennessee and you see you're allowing 157 yards passing per game, you break down their opponents, what they did in those games, and you're going, wait, they're giving up 257 yards rushing per contest? I got to wonder if their pass defense is not inflated with those numbers because everybody's rushing the ball with such a high success against Tennessee. And I think when it comes to talking about Tennessee, that's where you tend to lean more to the latter. So you're the fifth-ranked passing defense in the nation. I'm sure that you do some good things. But I've got to believe that a big reason why Tennessee is ranked so high past defense in the SEC and the nation is because they have such a porous rush defense. So we'll take our time out. We'll get Herb Tyler's take, begin to break down the matchup. And Jeff Palermo, columnist at WWL.com and Louisiana Network Sports Director, will be with us. It's LSU and Tennessee tonight here on Tiger Radio, WWL. Along with Herb Tyler and Deke Bellavere, Jeff Palermo, columnist at WWL.com, Louisiana Network Sports Director, joins us now. LSU and Tennessee. And uh, Jeff, I was saying during the break, you know, it's kind of interesting. Tennessee has the fifth best pass defense in the nation, number one in the Southeastern Conference, but they also had the worst rush defense. And look, I understand that, you know, they're probably a few things you can point out to where it's, look, you're just not number five in the nation because one side of your one phase of your defense is that bad. But I do think when you look at inside the numbers and you look at Tennessee and what their opponents have done, uh, a big reason why their pass defense is rated so high is because their offense, their, their defense, rush defense is so bad, and that's what teams are doing. They are rushing the ball on them. Yeah, and that's um, – and we've seen here in, in recent history that teams that have trouble stopping the run, you know, in particular the Ole Miss, Arkansas, um, you know, LSU just abuses those type of teams. I mean, they, they have really good games when 
they go up against teams that really struggle to stop the run. And uh, tonight it might be a, a, a bigger factor considering what the weather forecast in Knoxville is calling for, rain and, and windy conditions in Neyland Stadium. So I would imagine LSU, uh, Darius Geis and Daryl Williams, they'll get those guys lathered up and they'll keep attacking Tennessee that way and mix in the pass when they feel it's necessary. You've followed this program and been around an awful long time. Uh, from years to expectations, there have been more expectations in the last decade or so consistently than there have been probably – in the program's history, but the offensive line, where they came from, everything that had happened, how many scholarship players they had, how much experience they had going into a season, and where they are now, it's, uh, we've seen things that go into a season in any sport to where, oh, that was a huge question mark, and that was, uh, but now it's a strength. But it's a lot more entailed in this now, and boy, they, I think moving forward, LSU can really, by what has taken place in the last few months, they can really set themselves up up front for quite some time, providing they plug and, and put the right pieces in place behind this group of young people. Well, there's no doubt, even though it seems like LSU might be set at offensive line, especially if a guy like Will Clapp decides to, to come back. If, you, know, they, you know, Right now it looks like you're, they're almost set for next season along that offensive line uh, as long as Clapp and Toby Weathersby decide to come back. But, uh, even so, um, I think there's still going to be a heavy emphasis uh, with this upcoming class and the next class to try to recruit as many guys up along the offensive and defensive lines. And, yeah, going into the season, I, I mean, offensive line was a question mark, and it, it got to a critical mass there uh, early in the season when they, they just didn't even have enough bodies to, to put on the field at times to, to have a, a healthy offensive line, and you got all these freshmen in there. And, what they've been able to do and salvage that part has, has been very impressive. And I would say the same thing on the defensive line as well. I mean, there was, remember in the Mississippi State game, I mean, they had uh, they had nobody that they can really ro- rotate in there. In the Florida game, Christian Lockatcher had to play every single play because they didn't have enough defensive linemen. And so uh, they've been able to build some depth. Uh, it, it helped that some guys, especially along the defensive line, that were suspended finally came back. And, uh, you know, now, you know, looking forward to 2018, you go into next season uh, saying that the offensive line is going to be the strength of the offense for sure because you have no idea who's going to be your top running back next season. You have no idea who will be your top wide receiver next season. And I I would say the quarterback position is still up for grabs as well, even though you think it's going to be Miles Brennan, but you you just never know. So the O-line will be the uh, strength next year. But they're still going to go out and recruit because Ed Orsron recognizes that that's where games are won, that's where championships are won, is along the line of scrimmage. Jeff, going into this game tonight, man, you know, you, you got an interim head coach. You know, the guys at Tennessee, the players, you know, they, they have pride, just as much pride as we do. Um, how do we go into this particular game just, you know, focused on the task at hand and coming in and just, you know, just, you know, playing our game and not getting caught up in the hype of, you know, Butch Davis being fired um, and, and, you know, and, and just not letting the resiliency of the Tennessee Volunteers players, you know, kind of overwhelm us, if you will. Well, I would say LSU has been a pretty focused team, right, ever since the loss to Troy. I, I think they've really uh, worried more about themselves, uh, and they've played some teams, you know, Ole Miss and Arkansas, where there's turmoil around their programs as well. 
and and they've just gone in there and worried about LSU and, and not uh, felt that the team you know, and and just prepared uh, the the right way I think for those games and, and the results speak for themselves. Uh, they won those games handedly. They didn't just take it for granted and think, well, you know, uh, Brett Bielema may get fired, so uh, we don't have to show up today. And so just because there was a coaching change, um, I, I think this uh, LSU program is going to come in there and, and they'll be focused. And, and LSU gets the draw from its experience from a season ago. Uh, they know that a coaching change last year kind of helped galvanize this team. Now, did Brady Hoke have the same effect that Ed Orgeron had last year? I, I doubt it. Uh, I, th- I think the, the firing of the Ed, of, Ed, of uh, Les Miles was at, was at a good time, and LSU benefited then from the Florida game not being played. It gave them an extra week to get ready. And here it's the end of the season, and there really isn't much to play for for Tennessee other than uh, possibly appearing in some uh, really bad bowl game. <laughs> so uh, LSU, when they obviously made, pulled the trigger on it last year with the firing of Miles, they there was still um, – there was still something to play for. They still had actually a chance to, to win the SEC West when they made that firing. So it's a little bit different, but uh, you, you have to like the focus of this team. Uh, I, I think, again, uh, to me, getting to that 10-win mark for this program, that would be a huge accomplishment for the guys that are leaving the program. They, they would feel like they've set a, a nice direction for this program and for the guys that are coming back. That would obviously be something really good to build on if they can finish six and two in the league and ten wins overall. Absolutely, I agree, hundred percent. Now, with the absence of a few players that's not going to be there tonight and playing, how do you think that affects uh, what Coach Aranda does? And and you know, do you think the guys that are coming behind them will step up? Well, I think it helps. Uh, again, they can draw on their own experience because both of those guys uh, have missed games early on in the season, so this is not a totally foreign thing. Uh, for them to just plug in uh, some younger guys in there, Chaston uh, and Tyler Taylor, and, and just let them go out there and play. I mean, we saw these guys get a lot of snaps early season. So if uh, – and obviously we know that Donnie Alexander and and, uh, and Arden Key are not playing in this game. So I think they feel that, uh, hey, these, these guys have started for us before. We could just go back uh, out there with them. Uh, you know, Chase on has started two games early on in the season against BYU and Chattanooga. So uh, Taylor started three games this year. So these guys, and now it's the end of the season. And, and you know the uh, cliche when it comes to freshmen, by the time you get to this point, they're not really freshmen. So, And you're going up against the Tennessee offense that really doesn't scare you at all. It's a, a team that hasn't been able to do much through the pass, through the air. They're ranked last in the SEC, I believe, in scoring offense, averaging just 20 points a game. So uh, it's just an opportunity, really, to give a couple of uh, younger guys some more playing time, get them in an atmosphere of playing on the road in an SEC game and, and seeing how they do. It's, it kind of turns into a, a bit of a positive for LSU. He's Jeff Palermo, columnist at WWL.com, Reason Network Sports Director, at Jeff Palermo, L-R-N. Follow him, breaking down LSU and Tennessee. All right, Jeff, a couple keys to the game and your prediction. The Tigers uh, about a 16, 17-point favorite today. Yeah, I would say the biggest thing for LSU, as long as they don't turn the ball over, uh, that that gives Tennessee a short field to work with and give them momentum early on in the game. As long as, as long as LSU avoids the turnover bug, I think they should win this one uh, rather handedly. I mean, last time these two teams played back in 2011, LSU won 38-7 to in Neyland Stadium. And 
it might be that kind of a game tonight. I'm thinking 35-10, 31-10, somewhere in that uh, vicinity that LSU gets this win and then uh, gets ready to play Texas A&M in the uh, regular season finale. All right, Jeff, quarterfinals next week on one side, semifinals. Where are you going to be next week in prep football? Uh, Not exactly sure yet. Mm -hmm. I would think it would be on the select side. We'd like to try to at least uh, get one of those semifinal games. It could be an Mm -hmm. exciting uh, night in New Orleans if uh, Newman and De La Salle both punch their ticket to the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, two programs that uh, have been uh, really building over the years, and uh, that would be really great if those two schools – uh, can finally get to the Dome. So it could be a really special night next uh, Friday in New Orleans. Jeff Palermo, columnist at com, Louisiana Network Sports Director and News Director, at Jeff Palermo, L-R-N. Jeff, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy the game. All right, guys. You too. Thanks, All Jeff. All right. Along with Herb Tyler and Deke Bellavia, coming up a CBS update, then we'll go behind enemy lines and take a look at today's opponent, the 4-6 and six Tennessee Volunteers. This is Tiger Radio, WW. Welcome back. Along with her Tyler, I'm Deke Bellavie, LSU and Tennessee this afternoon in Neyland Stadium in Rocky Top, the 4-6 and six Vols. LSU seeking their eighth victory of the regular season, trying to get the nine wins that would set up a bowl opportunity for LSU in which the Tigers could, could wind up uh, with ten victories. And that would be huge for LSU considering uh, where this team was at the end of September. And, uh, hey, that's why they call it a football season, not a football week. Herb, uh, you've been uh, in situations before uh, when you kind of get around at this point in time, and it's a situation where, you know, championships are, uh, you know, not uh, in in the grasp, but bowls and getting to a big bowl. What was that like, Herb, particularly that first year in which LSU was trying to snap all those uh, losing seasons uh, you knew going into uh, that final Arkansas game that, that, at the very least, LSU would finish the regular season, uh, at, at the very least, uh, non-losing at 500. But you guys beat Arkansas uh, that afternoon, and uh, you wind up going to the IBO and beating uh, a, a Nick Saban coach team with Tony Banks in the uh, Independence Bowl over Michigan State. What is that like down the stretch when the team is trying to finish up hard and get in the best bowl as possible? Well, look, I mean, as a as a player, you, you play hard no matter what. You know, it doesn't matter what's at stake. There's going to be zero at stake or that everything can be on the line. So you always want to give it your, your absolute best. You want to make sure that you are prepared to the, the utmost and that, you know, you don't leave anything on the field. I mean, you want to leave everything on the field. You don't, you know, don't, don't want to give it a half effort. Um, so, you know, and then, you know, looking back at what we were doing and trying to do, you know, we had a ton of talent on our team, and it was just a matter of how do we put it together? How do we come together as a team? And then, um, you know, when 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 I started actually playing and, and became the starter, um, I think we needed those, you know, those final three games of the season in order to go to the bowl game. So, um, and and that was a definitely something that we all circled, you know, every week on Saturdays that, you know, we need to go ahead and win every game that we have going out. We need to go 3-0 and and then go to whatever bowl game and then win that and finish the season strong so we can also have another great recruiting class and then go into my sophomore season um, with the momentum and then uh, try to carry that thing, uh, you know, through the rest of that sophomore season. So it's one of those deals where, you know, you have pride and you take pride in what you do. You come together as brethren, and um, and then you do any and everything you can possibly do in order to be successful. Um, you know, things are going to happen throughout the course of a game, throughout the course of a week, to where, you know, you, you may have some obstacles and you may 
run into a brick wall here and there, but how do you get through it, around it, over it, under it, whatever you need to do, um, that's what you have to do. So we took pride in wearing the, the purple and gold and, and, and the, 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 you know, the LSU tiger uh, head on our helmets and representing not only LSU but the state of Louisiana and everyone in it and all of our fans and things of that nature. So, we, you know, it's one of those things where you just, you just put everything aside and you focus completely on winning the football game and being the very best player that you can possibly be. Herb Tyler, second-winning quarterback in LSU history. LSU bowl projections, nice layout by Scott Revely and the advocate. And uh, right now, of course, things change. When you look at the possible opponents everybody's picking, uh, particularly ACC or Big Ten, I don't think anybody would be disappointed. Uh, right now you're ranging from projections to Virginia Tech, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State. Uh, and that, that's, uh, you know, when you think about it, if you stay in that, and I see some saying Northwestern, but, you know, tie-ins with Big Ten and ACC, th- those are some pretty stout uh, bowl opponents there when you think about it. And at one point in time, uh, you know, highly ranked ball clubs and an opportunity to finish strong. So LSU stands, Herb, to really not only be in a good bowl, but get a, you know, a Big Ten foe, ACC foe, someone in that in that area, and uh, I think it, it has a lot of juice to it. I really do. I think it will be an exciting uh, bowl season, uh, particularly if you go by a lot of the projections now, who it could be, a Michigan, a Michigan State, uh, a Penn State, Ohio State, Virginia Tech. Uh, that, that would be something I think the fan base would be excited about. Well, that's, I mean, any one of those teams would be a really great challenge, and all of those teams have really great traditions just as LSU does. And another thing that that does, if you, if you get to play against a Michigan, Michigan State or, or Penn State or somebody like that, then, you know, that, that brings light on a national level for you in recruiting. So um, the guys that they're recruiting or the guys that are somewhat looking at those particular teams, that they may watch that particular game and see something in LSU. If we, you know, if we play in one of those guys and then we come out victoriously and then we may be doing something that suits them uh, very well as a player. So that can also, you know, that's another thing that you can get out of that. But, I mean, I think the fan base would be, you know, happy with any one of those teams with the exception of Northwestern if that comes to, to fruition. But um, I, you know, I personally, I wouldn't mind playing an Ohio State or Michigan or Michigan State or Penn State, any one of those teams. That once again, that you know, that brings a, a, a true um, national audience to that particular game. Um, and I think we can defeat any one of those teams, although those teams are really good and they've been, like you said, highly, really highly ranked uh, throughout the season. But you know what? We beat Auburn, and Auburn is top four right now, so um, we can hang and play with anybody. Vince Ferreira, Tennessee pregame host on the Vols Radio Network at Vince Sports, at Vince Sports on Twitter. Vince, thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, hey, look, LSU went through this a year ago. Right now you, you have, we know, at least uh, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Florida, uh, maybe Arkansas, uh, maybe Texas A&M, several SEC programs uh, that are going to be looking for uh, new coaches what is what is the vibe around that program like? What what is it like amongst the Tennessee fan base knowing that uh, they're, they're going to go through a, another coaching change this all season? Well, appreciate you guys having me. Much respect for your show and the work you guys do on your station, and uh, it's pretty volatile. Honestly, it has it, it has stirred up obviously all those groomers that everybody's talking about. That I'm I'm guessing, and from what I've seen, people nationally sort of. Uh, scoff and maybe laugh at Tennessee for getting involved in that again. You know, a lot of us have wanted to have tried to tell the fan base that those, the, that's not going to happen. 
It's not that Tennessee wouldn't be interested in, in Gruden. It's that he's not a college coach. He's an NFL coach, if he even does that. And that his his uh, agent is notorious for putting his name out for jobs mm-hmm. for leverage. So uh, that that's all this play is. He likes to be talked about. His agent likes to take that route. And you know Tennessee fans want so desperately to be – uh, back and back in a big way, they, they get involved in that. And so I think what it's caused is media on media uh, criticism in the area for for people that, that cover the team. It's caused some portion of the fan base that's maybe younger and on social media a lot to be critical of anyone who dares tell them that they wouldn't get Gruden. I think the, the juxta of that is, is – Tennessee fans are so frustrated over this length of time since the former era came to an end that they feel like they're sick of people telling them that they can't have the great things and reach the elite that they want to have. And no one's saying that John Gruden is too good for Tennessee. It's just that that's not uh, that's not going to happen. It's not realistic. This will be the fourth time he'll run them through this whole process again because he likes to have his name in, in the mix. So that's where everybody set their sights on. And I think what it does is it it has it's going to have the Tennessee fans be frustrated and disappointed and in some forms angry when that doesn't happen. Then what do they do? They other fans want Chip Kelly. Well, there there's competition for Kelly and he may not come to any spot either. So They've set their sights on the big names, and I think they're going to be disappointed if it ends up being someone with a tie to John Curry that isn't the big splash name that they're looking for. Vince Ferrer is here with us, Tennessee pregame host on the Volunteers Radio Network. Well, that's a six-night kickoff in uh, Neyland Stadium as the Vols uh, try to win their last two and get to become bowl eligible. Vince, uh, from afar reading up, everybody kind of knows the life of the program is recruiting, the coaches get out there and kind of those living room wars. How has it affected uh, the the recruiting aspect of it? Butch Jones did uh, seemingly recruit well. And what is maybe a timetable, particularly now we're embarking on something new, a three-day signing period or just before Christmas, uh, how does this affect recruiting and what is a timetable in which Tennessee would like to have their new guy in place? Yeah, definitely good questions. Over the first one in recruiting, it's impacted it negatively significantly. They've had, I think the last count was six decommits from the 2018 class that not all that long ago when things were early in the season, they were in the top five in recruiting nationally and number one in the SEC. Uh, that has fallen back significantly, including losing in some recruiting services, the number one overall offensive tackle in the country, Cade Mays, who's from Knoxville Catholic High School here uh, in town in their backyard, and he is decommitted. He took a visit to Ohio State last week, as did one of their two quarterback commits for next year, Adrian Martinez. Uh, Martinez says he's just covering his bases, but they've lost another significant in-state player in Alante Taylor, uh, they lost a 2019 kid, so it, it has hurt them big time. And But I don't think those guys, as long as they're until you get to that signing period, I think depending on who the new coach is, they may be able to bring those guys into the mix. I don't blame kids with that early signing period that you alluded to. If you're intent on signing there, uh, signing at that point and getting a jump, 
I don't, I don't blame these kids for looking for a backup plan. What if you're, especially a quarterback, what if you're not a fit for their, the new coach's scheme or they don't have the level of interest in you? You have to cover yourself. So I, I think depending on when they do it and who the coach is, they may be able to bring at least some of those in, significant in-state kids uh, back to Tennessee. Now, as far as the timing of it, my best guess would be between the end of the regular season and maybe the Monday after the SEC championship game. I think those would, that would be the most likely window for when this happens. But, hey, there's some that are being told, some of the guys with sources on, on our station are being told that, hey, don't expect anything by December 7th. And then you start getting really close to that signing period, and that's, that's not a good thing. Hang with us, if you would, Dave. We'll come back, get Herb to Tyler, our former uh, LSU great, to ask Dave a question as it's the Vols and the Volunteers tonight. Tennessee, where they come out and play some inspired ball for interim coach Brady Hoke. Vince Pereira, Tennessee pregame host on the Vols Radio Network, is getting us updated and educated on the 4-6 and six Vols. We'll continue here on WWL. Final segment again for me with today's opponent, the Tennessee Volunteers. He's pregame host on the Balls Radio Network, Vince Ferreira. Give up events at Vince Sports, at Vince Sports on Twitter. Vince, uh, Tennessee, you tell us uh, going back to the first two games of the season, 42 points in each of those games. Since the highest point total was uh, 26 points and a 29-26 loss to Kentucky, this ball's offense, uh, did it ever develop an identity? Uh, you take us through. I look at that first game against Georgia Tech, and I was going like, you know, hey, that's a tough opening game. Looks like they've got some things. But from that point on, I, I don't know where they went. Where, where is this offense right now, Vince? Well, it is at times anemic, and the I think it really stems from the quarterback position. Even in, in that Georgia Tech game, uh, Quentin Dormady, the original starting quarterback this year in his first year as a starter uh, after Josh Dobbs moved on to the NFL, he struggled in the first half, and they really couldn't get anything going. Then in the second half, he was able to find Marquez Calloway, who was their most talented receiver, with, since Juwan Jennings went down in that Georgia Tech game, they're able to find him on some deep balls. And then they got the ground game going with John Kelly. And you just saw when the quarterback position is playing well uh, and they're utilizing their, their best weapons and players on offense, they can be pretty good. Uh, they were, frankly, pretty sloppy in that Indiana State game. Indiana State was outmatched. Then in the Florida game, uh, it was it, it was breakdowns in the red zone. That's that's where things went south in the red zone. And from that point on, they have struggled so much in the red zone. Some of them from play calling, others from penalties when they're at the one yard line, and just not getting the ball to John Kelly enough in, the, in those situations. And just it, they lost complete confidence. And then in the UMass game, they were sloppy, and, and it was gone. And they, each game, they've lost more and more confidence as the season has gone on. Quinn Dormady was eventually benched for Jared Garantano. Garantano hasn't been spectacular, but he at at least would protect the football, something that Dormady did not do. He had too many interceptions early in the year before he got hurt. Then Garantano gave him a little bit of life offensively in the Kentucky game, but just not enough. They their defense struggles. Uh, in wearing down in the second halves of games. So even if they look stout early in games, or even if that happens in this game, if it's a tighter game against LSU, more so than what people expect, late in the second quarter at halftime, 
Tennessee's a much different team and a much worse team in the second half because they don't substitute a lot defensively. They played the same players even in their lesser games, so they've accumulated a ton of snaps in those games. Then they wear down in the second half. And so offensively, they, they it's complementary football. As coaches talk about, the offense is not the defense out because they don't stay on the field, thus adding the snaps and making it more difficult for the defense to get stops in the second half. And then they had to get a Will McBride, a third quarterback, against Missouri when Garantano was hurt. And we haven't seen Garantano since then. And so it's um, – it, it, we don't know who we're going to see this week because Brady Hope closed practices. Um, there's a possibility we could see both. It could be all McBride. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the quarterback positions were started and then the injuries of the offensive line, the receiver – uh, play calling. I mean, you name it. Ever since that Florida game, all those things have piled on on top of the other. Now, going back to the um, the coaching search, I, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I, in my personal opinion, I think that John Gruden is one of the best NFL coaches in the in the world to ever ever done it. So, um, but I don't think that just because you're a great NFL coach that that translates really well to the NCAA or college football. With that being said, you know, without, let's call it, looking at the former head coaches such as a Chip Kelly, someone like that, is Tennessee looking toward maybe a young and upcoming um, offense or defensive coordinator or someone like that that's within the college ranks right now or maybe even an NFL coach who was in the college ranks um, as an offense or defensive coordinator who maybe had one or two runs or two years, shall I say, in the NFL. And Vince, I, I, I apologize. Yeah. I, I about bumped my gums too much on Herb's time. I, 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 <laughs> I ran all about the time. But, man, it was good to visit with you. And, and, and just quickly, Vince, your thoughts. Uh, does Tennessee hang around in the game tonight? Uh, not for very long. I think LSU pulls away. That running game too good. Tennessee not good enough defensively in their, in their rush defense. He knows everything's Vols, folks. Pre-game host on the Vols Radio Network, Vince Ferreira. Pick up with Vince, a good follower, at Vince Sports, at Vince Sports on Twitter. Vince, thank you so much. Enjoy the game this evening. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. That's thanks, Herb guys. Tyler. I'm Deke Bellamy. Herb's Keeves and Prediction coming up next here on WWL. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.